You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Associate Minister Kirk McKenzie. Hi, my name is Mark, and I'll be reading today from the Book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple. It was three o'clock in the afternoon. It was time for prayer. A man unable to walk was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. He had been that way since he was born. Every day, someone would put him near the gate. There he would beg from people going into the temple courtyards. He saw that Peter and John were about to enter, so he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, and so did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man watched them closely. He expected to get something from them. Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then Peter took him by the right hand and helped him up. At once the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. He went with Peter and John into the temple courtyards. He walked and jumped and praised God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. They recognised him as the same man who used to sit and beg at the temple gate called Beautiful. They were filled with wonder and were amazed at what had happened to him. The man was holding on to Peter and John. All the people were amazed. They came running at them at the place called Solomon's Porch. When Peter saw this, he said, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? It's not as if we have made this man walk by our own power and godliness. The God of our fathers... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has done this. God has brought glory to Jesus, who serves him. But you handed Jesus over to be killed. Pilate had decided to let him go, but you spoke against Jesus when he was in Pilate's court. You spoke against the holy and blameless one. You asked for a murderer to be free instead. You killed the one who gives life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. This man whom you see and know was made strong because of faith in Jesus' name. Faith in Jesus has healed him completely. You can see it with your own. Well, good everyone. Uh, it's great to be preaching for you today. Uh, I'm very recently had COVID, so if I do sound a bit gravelly or I need to cough at some point, I do apologise. Uh, but now you know the reason why. Well, I want to start today by talking to you about a habit that up until recently I had and which I realised I didn't want to have. Uh, it's a habit to do with how I looked at people or, or more specifically how I, I didn't look at people in the city here in Melbourne. You see, in the city is where we have uh, the most obvious poverty in, uh, in Melbourne. Uh, it's where people, uh, you might sometimes see them homeless on the street, you might see people uh, begging, asking for money. And I realized what I developed as a habit, and I think particularly when I was a student studying in the city, 
was a habit of not looking at people who are asking for money, like intentionally looking away uh, and you know, making a special effort to not engage with those people. And as time's gone on, I've become you know, a very uh, committed follower of Jesus and I realised that I had this habit. I decided I didn't want it. As you know, someone who sees everyone as equal, believes that everyone's made in God's image, I didn't want to be treating some people like that, just to be sort of ignoring people, intentionally disengaging from them. So I've tried to change this habit and just treat everyone equally, look at everyone the same, no matter uh, whether they look like they've got heaps and heaps of money or whether they look like they've got no money at all. Now, I don't think I completely kicked the habit, but it's something that I'm trying to change. Now, as we look at our passage today, we see Peter and John, both committed followers of Jesus, actually two of Jesus' closest friends, two of his 12 disciples, uh, his leadership team, come across someone who was one of the poorest people in their society in their time. In verse 2 of Acts chapter 2, we read, this. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So this guy's never been able to walk. And in his time, where there's no disability support services like we're fortunate enough to have today, that meant he really had no way of being able to support himself, to earn an income. So he would have been completely reliant on the generosity of other people to be able to get food, to be able to get by in life at all. And so this is the guy that Peter and John come across. It says in verse three, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Now this isn't unexpected. Uh, of course he would ask them for money. He probably asked everyone who went through the gate to, uh, for money. Now here's what our author, whose name is Luke, says next, and this is interesting. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Now, why does Luke point this out to us? Well, it's most likely because the majority of people who walked past this man who sat there every day begging for money is that most people had the same habit as I've had for most of my life, and that is that they deliberately didn't look at the guy, that they intentionally did not engage with the guy who was asking for money. They'd look the other way. And so what Peter and John do is the opposite of what most people would likely have done. And they actually look at him. And then they go even further. Peter said, look at us. Now, this implies that the guy's not actually looking at them. And fair enough. You know, when you've been ignored by most people, you're sitting there all day. You've probably got your head down. You, you Maybe your hand's out asking for money or you've got a coin sitting there. Uh, you, you're probably tired from sitting there all day. And yet, so Peter asks him to look at him. And so the whole physical situation of, of it changes. He looks up and suddenly you've got two people, or maybe three people because Peter, John and the guy begging. Now they're engaged with each other in a way that doesn't usually happen in this situation. And so the guy uh, looks up, uh, he's got... Uh, you know, he's got, they've got his attention. He's expecting to get something from them. And then in verse 6, Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. He doesn't actually have any money to give the guy. But what I do have, 
I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Okay, so no money to give, but he does have something to give. And what exactly that is to give, I, I don't know. It's not made super clear in the passage here. Um, you know, it's not sort of specifically outlined for us. We do get hints of what Peter's giving as the passage goes on, and we the results are really clear, so that helps us. But it's not like outlined in great detail by uh, Luke here. But the result is clear. Verse 7, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. So the result is a miraculous healing. This guy whose feet and ankles have never been strong is suddenly able to walk. What's more, uh, he doesn't need to learn how to walk. He's just able to do it. So this is a full-blown miracle. And it just happens. There's no big cloud come down from heaven. There's no voice booming from heaven. He's just able to do it in an instant. No special effects needed, apart from the special effect of being suddenly miraculously healed. And of course, he's very happy about this. Uh, This is an incredible thing that's happened. He's not going to be living in poverty anymore. He's going to be able to work and so on. And then he goes with Peter and John into the temple area. Uh, Let's have a look at the result. He jumped to his feet in verses 8 and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping, so he's very agile, and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Now, Let's compare the two responses here. First, we have the guy who's been healed. Now, he's got an excellent response here. Obviously, he's celebrating the miracle that's happened, uh, the healing that uh, he's received. And his response is to praise God for what's happened. He rightly acknowledges that God is the one that has healed him. He acknowledges Uh, Jesus for who he really is, that Jesus is God and he sends God the praise. So a fantastic celebration and he puts the credit where credit is correctly due. The crowd obviously recognizes this guy. They've seen him, you know, they know this is the guy who's normally begging outside uh, the gate. Uh, They're amazed. They're filled with wonder. So tick there. Of course, you should be amazed by this situation. But Luke, our author, points out that they don't, they're not moved to praise God in this situation. So they, they, don't go, they don't go as far as crediting God with this amazing miracle that's happened. Now, they head to this place called Solomon's Colonnade, sometimes referred to as Solomon's Porch. This is a big outdoor gathering area uh, next to the temple. And people... Uh, are recognizing this guy, words obviously spreading, hey, come and look, you won't believe what's happened. Uh, Check this out, it's amazing. And so Peter, who's obviously growing in his confidence as a public speaker, you know, chapter two, he he did a a speech which had a pretty big effect and drew a big crowd. So he's got another crowd here. He's like, all right, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do another talk. And so he gets up and explains what's happening in verse 12. 
This is what he says. Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? So he's very keen, he and John are very keen to make sure they're not getting credit for this healing. It's not something amazing that they've done. He, uh, he, he goes on and he says in uh, verse 13, The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. So he's connecting in with the Jewish crowd there by referencing some of the great characters from Jewish history, some of the great uh, figures from Jewish history. And he's saying, hey, God's done this and Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who's healed this guy. So they're pointing away from themselves and towards Jesus. Now, then he starts to talk about Jesus in a bit more detail and he reminds them of what's happened to Jesus. Continuing verse 13, he says, You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disown the Holy and Righteous One and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. This is really talking about Jesus' divinity here. But, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Just talking about Jesus' dodgy trial, just talking about Jesus' unjust ex execution and, of course, his resurrection. Now, this is an intensely personal confrontation that Peter is entering into here. If you think about the context, they're at the Jewish temple. There's a crowd here that would have almost certainly included the people who were responsible for Jesus' dodgy trial and Jesus' execution. And you've got to remember that Peter was at Jesus' trial and John was at Jesus' execution. So as he's talking about this and as he's saying this is what happened to Jesus and the things he went through and that you did this, he's not just talking generally, he's probably looking at people who he knows was there, who he saw was there. He may have even been pointing at them. He might have been looking them in the eye knowing that they were both there. This is a pretty intense situation that he's in. He's not just doing a general challenge here. He's probably personally challenging a whole bunch of people who were literally responsible for the trial and execution of Jesus. He's also reminding them that it didn't actually work, that Jesus has risen from the dead and he's still at work, evidenced by this guy who's being healed. And in verse 16, he again points to Jesus. He says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. So again, he finishes this section by again pointing to Jesus. Now, our passage for today finishes there, but he rolls on by calling people to repent of their rejection of Jesus and inviting them to put their trust in Jesus. Uh, so there's, a, there's an opportunity for people to change their ways there if they've been part of uh, you know, putting Jesus to death in the past. Now, 
What this passage picks up on multiple times is a big theme that we see throughout the Christian faith. And that is this idea that we are saved by faith, not by works. If you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard this phrase or a phrase like it. Saved by faith, not by works. What this means is that uh, we receive uh, salvation from God. We receive God's blessing. Uh, we Things like God's forgiveness, uh, eternal life, the gift of his spirit, not because of what we've done, but because of what God has done and specifically because of what Jesus has achieved. It's because of God's love for us that we are able to receive God's blessings, not because of our works, you know, the, our actions, the things that we've achieved. So we've got to Make sure that we don't have a works-based mentality when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to our understanding of who God is or how he works in the world. Uh, you know, that would mean things like we might go, oh, well, God's going to love me and bless me if I'm morally a really good person. If I do a bunch of moral things, if I, if I manage to be, do more good than bad in my life, then God's going to bless me. That's not not the teaching of Christianity. Or if I'm religiously, you know, up to scratch, if I do enough religious rituals, if I participate in enough sort of churchy things, uh, then some God's going to bless me in that way. No, that's not the teaching of Christianity. Uh, or maybe you know, we might think, oh, maybe if I'm spiritually at a good level, you know, if I've got a, a good level of inner peace, uh, you know, or if I'm, you know, a, a, got a good sort of equilibrium, a good level of peace within my relationships, uh, that, you know, God's going to bless me in that way. Or if I'm achieving a good level of mental health or mindfulness, or if I've just sort of got a good level of organisation, I'm just sort of on top of things in my life generally, and things are going pretty well, that that sort of means that God's going to be blessing me. We've got to put that idea of, of works-based salvation, works-based blessing to the side. God blesses us because he loves us. We put our trust in Jesus. That's all we need to do. Faith in Jesus is the only step that's needed. We put our trust in Jesus and we receive those blessings. We receive his forgiveness. We receive eternal life. We don't have to work for it. The love of God is unconditional, it's undeserved, it's unearned, it's given freely to those who trust in Jesus. And Peter touches on this big theme three times in what he says. In verse 6, when he's talking to the man begging outside the city, he says to him, I have nothing physical that I can give you, but I do know Jesus. In verse 12, he points out that it's not the power of people that has made this man walk. It's the power of Jesus. And in verse 16, he says, It's Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has healed this man. Emphasizing that it's the actions of God. It's what Jesus has achieved that is most important and pointing away from the actions of himself and of John. Now let me share uh, a way that this has played out practically in my own life recently. 
the last 12, 18 months, I've experienced a lot of growth in my prayer life. It's been really great. And I realized uh, that part of this change is God's been teaching me about prayer and helping me to grow in that area. Uh, one of the big changes has happened is that previously I had this instinct that meant when I heard about a problem, you know, so maybe you mentioned there's an issue in your life or there's an issue in my life or maybe it's just a, a, a world problem, my instinct, my first thought is, how am I going to fix that? How am I, Kirk, going to be the one who comes in and changes this for the good? How am I going to be the solution to this problem? That was my instinct, right? I'm going to be the one who fixes this. Now, look, there was a little bit of good in that, in the sense that sometimes that was a response of compassion, wanting to help people, uh, and just wanting to, you know, to do good. But there was also some problems in, in that response. There was a sense of me, we, me wanting to be the hero of everyone's story, uh, me being arrogant enough to think that I could fix everyone's problems, uh, me being arrogant enough to think that people wanted me to fix their problems for them. And so this is my initial uh, thought. Yeah, for most of my life, this is sort of the way sort of I've operated in my, my instinct. As I've grown in prayer in these recent times, I've realized that that instinct has started to change. And more often than not now, when I do hear about a problem, a situation that needs to change, my instinct is now to go, I'm going to ask Jesus to change that. I'm going to ask God to get involved and make a difference in that situation. It's been a really positive change that flows out of this idea that we need God to be acting first, that we can't rely on our own works, that we ultimately need God. It's been a reordering of things, I guess. I want to make it clear, when I hear about problems, I don't just sit back and go, I'm going to do nothing. I'm going to do nothing to ever to help. But it's a reordering to look to God first and to seek his help and to seek his guidance and his wisdom and to then ask him, is, is there something that I can do in, in, in my own way to help uh, change this situation? And you know what? Sometimes there is, but in some situations, there's honestly nothing in my own power, in my own strength, that I can do to change a situation. There's no money I can throw at it. There's no skills that I've got. There's no amazing advice. I lack the resources. I lack the influence to change that particular situation in any substantial way. And yet, I can still contribute something because I trust in Jesus and the spirit of Jesus lives in me. And I can look to Jesus and I can call on him and I can ask him to start making a difference in that situation. At the very least, I can pray and ask him to start making a difference there. And then I can look to him and he can reveal ways that perhaps I can be contributing to change in that way that I would never have been able to consider myself. You know, when I think about this story we're looking at today, as Peter and John are approaching the gate, I'd be fascinated to know 
what Peter's relationship with God was like in that moment. Like, did he know in advance that that guy was going to be healed that day? Like, did God tell him that morning or the night before, hey, when you get to the gate, I'm going to get you to heal that guy? Or did he tell him, like, just in the moments before, just of where they're walking up, hey, when you get to that guy, I want you to heal him? Or was Peter just, like, so full of the Spirit that when he got there, he was just like, he just went on a hunch, <laughs> just like, just go for it, and it paid off. Now, of course, uh, we don't know. We don't get those details. But clearly, he and John were open to being used by God. They were ready. They were ready to be used by God. They were filled with his spirit and ready to go where God led them. And this is where I want to finish the talk today. Is just what can we learn from the early church in how they followed Jesus that we can bring into our own lives? Uh, some simple things. And, and this is my first thing is that they, these guys were just ready to be open. They, they were open and ready to be used by God. This is obvious in the early stories that we have in the book of Acts. The next thing that I learned from these uh, early Christians is that everything that they did was driven by their faith in Jesus. Jesus was the foundation for the way they lived their lives as individuals and as a community. And with Jesus as your foundation, as your building block for all your decisions and, and just the way you live generally, uh, sometimes this meant that God would actually do miracles amongst them. And so our passage today is obviously an amazing miracle. And we do experience that sometimes today. Uh, we've had healing miracles in our own church from time to time. Uh, miraculous miracles as recently as last year, we've experienced that in our own church. Sometimes we experience amazing answers to prayer where we're just blown away and we go, well, thank you, Lord, for answering in such an incredible way. I also want to point out some of the other things that happen in the book of Acts. And it's worth looking at some of the other stories where as they live with Jesus as their foundation, as they're open to being used by God, uh, they're much less miraculous stories. Now, obviously, we get the miracles written down because they're amazing and they stand out and they're important. But, for example, in Acts chapter 6, they're dealing with a bit of a logistical issue. You see, they'd been setting up a bit of a food program for those who were in most need. They... Uh, you know, some people just didn't have enough to eat. They were experiencing uh, hunger, possibly starvation. And so the Christian community was helping them out and getting food to those who were in most need. But the leaders of the community were finding, <coughs> excuse me, that they were spending so much time distributing the food that they weren't actually having enough time to continue to preach the good news of Jesus. And the food wasn't getting distributed properly, and so that was starting to create some division. I'm like, oh, this isn't working properly. Now, there wasn't a miracle to solve this situation. They actually solved it with some recruiting and some rostering, and they found a sort of administrative organisational solution to the problem. But I would argue that having Jesus as their foundation was still essential to the way they worked this through. Because when you follow Jesus, 
And when you base your decisions on being a follower of Jesus, you're still going to be committed to serving the poor and those in most need. You're going to be committed to sorting through division amongst the people of God and making sure there's unity amongst the people of God. And you're going to remain committed to preaching the good news to those who haven't heard it. And that helped them to navigate through the decisions that they made in Acts chapter 6. Faith in Jesus was still the foundation in that much more mundane, everyday situation that they faced. The third thing we noticed from the early church is whether a miracle was happening, like the healing that we see in our passage today, or the more mundane, everyday situations that they faced, they always pointed to Jesus. They didn't take credit themselves and use the amazing things that God was doing as an opportunity to make themselves famous or rich or popular. They always pointed people to Jesus. After a healing and a miracle and a big crowd gathered, they pointed to Jesus. When they were locked up in jail, being punished for being a follower of Jesus, they continued to point people to Jesus. So for us today, Let's follow this example of the early church. In this sense, nothing's changed. We're to continue on with the work that the early church began. Let's have Jesus as our foundation. Let's be open to being used by God. And let's continue to point people to Jesus. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.